Thank you for joining us today. At ResLife, our mission is to develop committed followers of Jesus Christ to reach the world. Our content is created to equip and empower you in God's purpose. We hope you enjoy this message. But I want to talk to you about one of the things that so often we miss today in Western Christianity. And that is simply the fact that you are in a war. In Ecclesiastes chapter 8, it says, and there is no release from that war. Now, when you become a Christian, you become part of the kingdom of God. Uh, so often in, in Western society today, when we talk about, think about Christianity, we think, I'm forgiven, I'm going to go to heaven. But that was not at all what Jesus taught. When Jesus came, the first thing he said was, the kingdom of God is here. Is the kingdoms here. He wasn't trying to get us someplace. He was trying to get something into us. Right? Now, he was trying to get something into us right now. Now, does it last forever? Yes, it does. But the kingdom of God does not begin when you die. The kingdom of God, it's already here, and we become a part of that kingdom instantly when we get right with God. So in 1 Timothy 6, verse 12, it says to fight the good fight of faith. Now, I know there's a lot of people that are that, that in Christendom that they just think, well, you know, I love God, I've received Jesus, and everything that's going to happen to me is the will of God. That is not scriptural at all. Right? If you just think the blessings of God are going to fall on you like ripe cherries off from a tree when they're ripe. No, it isn't going to happen. The Bible says you fight the good fight of faith. That the Christian life is a fight, so to speak, from the womb to the tomb. So let me say it like this. You're either right now in a fight, you just got out of a fight, or you're about to go into a fight. Because it's a fight. Fight the good fight of faith. John, uh, Matthew 11, Jesus said this. He says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, he said, the kingdom of God suffers violent, and the violent take it by force. Other translations say it this way, that the mighty men, they, they, they force their way in. I like that, right? Uh, the, the, it's not that God is withholding the kingdom, but we have an enemy who tries to keep all of the blessings that God has for us from coming into our life. In Ephesians 6 and 12, it says, for we do not wrestle. Now, unfortunately, that's all the verse that many Christians leave. We do not wrestle. So they, you know, sit on the couch, watch Netflix, drink Dr. Pepper, and eat Doritos. But the Bible doesn't say that we're not in a fight. It says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. The Living Bible says that we don't wrestle with, against people with bodies. But our enemy are people without bodies. It's evil spirits. It's the devil in demon power. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Now, as a believer, we're in this war. Right? We're called to be part of the, of, of the army of God, part of the kingdom of God. And we're to use the name of Jesus to defeat our enemy. We're to take the word of God. When Jesus was tempted by the devil in the desert, Matthew chapter 4, Satan comes, tempts Jesus, and Jesus said, it is written. He used the word of God. 
And as believers, we have, that's one of our weapons to use. I love the, it's in Corinthians where it says, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left. Right? We've got to have the weapons that, we, that, that are necessary for victory in the kingdom of God. We're to use our faith. Romans 10, verse 8. But what does it, faith, say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart, even the word of faith which we preach. And then, of course, verse 9, that if you will confess with your mouth Jesus is your Lord and believe in your heart and raise him from the dead, you will be saved. But the words of our mouth, they're weapons that God has given us. We have all the promises of God. I don't know of anybody who's actually counted them, but they say they have. People say that there's over 7,000 promises in the Bible. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, All the promises of God in him are yes and amen. If you're in him, in Christ, every promise in the Bible belongs to you. But we need to use the authority that Jesus has given us. In fact, in Luke chapter 10, verse 19, Jesus said, Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means harm you. You know, we have authority, but we've got to use the authority that God has given us. So often what we're doing is we're sitting back and we're waiting for God to do something. In fact, we'll literally say, God, the devil's after me. Get him. And God's in heaven like, I gave you authority. You get him. We're waiting for God to do something. He says, I've already done something. In fact, I've said this before. I'll just say it again. God's done all he's going to do about the devil until Jesus comes back. And now it's up to you. It's up to me. Because he has given us authority. Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all you could ask or think. And I think this is, I, I'm sure of this, 90% of the time I've heard this verse quoted, that's where we stop. He's able, he's able, he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or think. This is amazing. But then it says, according to the power that works in us. It's according to the power that works in us. We have been given that authority. In uh, Isaiah 54, verse 17, and, and when it comes to to forcing into the kingdom of God. Some people call this spiritual warfare, right? This, this verse is absolutely key. It says, no weapon formed against you will prosper. And every tongue that rises up against you in judgment, you shall condemn. Now, it says that there's weapons that are formed against you. Now, a weapon formed against you, it can be circumstances, but notice what it mentions right here. And every tongue, very often, the weapons that are formed against us, they're words that are spoken. And when those words are spoken, the Bible says we need to condemn them. We need to rise up and condemn them. Uh, Lester Summerall, who's now in heaven, was uh, a mentor to, to Jeannie and I. He pastored down here in South Bend, Indiana, but traveled the world. In fact, he, would, he lived in over 100 different countries at different times. And he was in Asia and he was preaching one evening, going in to preach. And he was walking down the center aisle, going up towards the podium. And the service was already going. And uh, he was planning on speaking through an interpreter. But as he's walking down the aisle, a lady approaches him and says in perfect English, she says, 
There is a dark angel in you, and there is a white angel in me. He said, when I looked into her eyes, he said, I knew immediately this was spiritual. And he said, no, he said, that is not true. He said, there's a dark angel in you and there's the light of God in me. And I command that dark angel, come out now in Jesus name. He said, the power of God hit her. She fell to the floor. But here's what he said was interesting. He said, I hadn't preached. Nobody had done anything. He said, every lost person in the building ran to the altar and began to cry out to God for mercy. And they got saved. See, when, when the enemy shows up, when there is that weapon formed against you, you need to condemn it. You need to speak to it. Whether it's words or whether it's circumstances, you need to speak to that weapon that's formed against you. Remember when David was going to go against Goliath? Goliath said, and then David said. Goliath said, hey, you're coming at me with a stick and some stones? You think I'm a dog? I'm going to kill you and feed you to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And David said, you come against me with a sword and a spear, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of hosts, whose army you have defiled. And today I will kill you and take your head from you. And I will feed you, your body, and that of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field that all the world may know that there is a God in Israel. And when he said that, put his hand in that little pouch, he took out that stone and started slinging, running. Listen, you always run at your giant with your mouth working. You never let the devil have the last word. Say, when he forms a weapon against you, every tongue, you condemn it. You know, somebody might say something like this to you. He says, you know, you're getting to be about 50 and everybody in your family gets cancer when they're 50. You know, your marriage isn't going to last. You know, all your siblings have had marriage problems. and Yours is going to fall apart. You know, you're never going to prosper. Well, you've always been poor. All your family's always been poor and you will forever be poor. You know, you're never going to get free from that addiction. You've been bound for over 20 years and you are going to stay bound the rest of your life. Those are all weapons that are formed against you. Right? And what do you need to do? You need to rise up and condemn. You need to speak words of faith. Uh, it's in Numbers chapter six where God is speaking to Moses and he said, speak to Aaron and his sons and say to them, this is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. Say to them. How are you going to bless them? You're going to say to them. Both blessings and curses come in the form of words. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you. Be gracious to you and lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Listen, God says, so I shall put my name on the children of Israel. You know, when you say something, it makes a difference. See, you can speak blessing and God says, I'm going to do something. You can break a curse and God says, I'm going to do something. But you release that authority. You release it. He's given you authority and it's according to the power that works in us. Now, our faith is supposed to grow. We've talked about this. The Bible says that you go from faith to faith. 
It says about the Thessalonians, your faith grows exceedingly. Now, it's from faith to faith because the faith that we begin with is not enough to take us to our destiny. God's got plans for you and those plans. Listen, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So God will never have a plan for your life that does not include faith. And we're supposed to go from faith to faith. Our faith is supposed to be growing. Now, 1 Peter 2, verse 2 says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Um, well, we'll say this. Uh, most of you had breakfast. Maybe a few of you skipped. You're probably going to eat lunch. But at the Super Bowl party tonight, you will pig out. You will eat all that food that you thought you would not eat. All right. But here's what I'm saying. Every day you feed your physical body. But in the same way, you need to feed your spirit man. And Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. There is food for your spirit is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts and Romans and Corinthians. Your your spirit needs to be fed for for it to be able to grow. And literally, like an acorn, you plant that thing, and and it it takes time to grow an oak tree. But when you plant that acorn, that oak tree is going to grow. It's going to respond. Now, in Mark chapter 4, Jesus gives the parable of the sower, and, and we do not have time to look at this whole parable today. But let me just say this. Jesus said to his disciples, he says, if you understand this parable, he says, you can understand all the parables. But if you don't understand this one, you can't understand any of them. So this parable is the key, right? It's like the granddad of all the parables. It's the key to understanding them all. So one is Jesus is talking about how this parable, what it means. He said this in Mark 4, verse 26. He said, So is the kingdom of God, as if one should cast seed into the ground. Now, the seed is God's word. Peter said this. He said, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed, even the word of God, which lives and endures forever. God's word is like a seed, right? And the kingdom of God works on a seed principle. He says he cast seed into the ground. Now, if you look carefully at the, the, the parable, Jesus talks about different kinds of ground, and he's talking about our heart. Right? Your heart is the ground. So the word of God is to be planted in your heart. He said, and should sleep and rise night and day, and the seed should spring and grow up. He doesn't know how. For the earth brings forth fruit of herself. First the blade, then the ear, after that the full corn in the ear. In other words, the kingdom of God works on the seed principle and it grows. First there's a blade, then there's an ear, then the ear matures, and there's the full corn in the ear. So often what we really want is we just want miracles. We want everything to be instantaneous. But that is not the way things normally work in the kingdom of God. It works on the seed principle and the blade, the ear, and after that, the full corn in the ear. Now, um, how many remember high school or college? 
I remember exams. And I remember the night before. You know what we'd do? We would cram. We would just stay up two, three o'clock in the morning, and we're just cramming. The next day, we take that exam, and we pass. And 72 hours later, you ask us, what was that? We don't have a clue. All right? We beat the system. All right? we, we did not learn. We just crammed for the exam, and we beat the system. Now, it is impossible to beat the seed system. You can't plant corn today and 10 days later have a harvest. And that's, how, that, that, that's what the kingdom of God is like. So many people, they're looking for this instantaneous but the kingdom works on a seed principle. But it says the earth brings forth of herself. Now, I checked this again just yesterday. The, the Greek word is automos. How many of you realize what word we get from it? Automatic, right? And that's literally what it means. It, it says that that heart, it brings forth fruit automatically. So, if you plant greed, because the, 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 your, your, your heart does not discriminate on what type of seed is sown. You can plant the word of God in it, but you can plant greed in it. Right? You can plant fear in your heart. I mean, you know, you, you prepare the, the, the farmer prepares the field and whether he plants wheat or barley or corn or soybeans, whatever he plants, it grows. And that's what the Bible is telling us. It's saying your heart will produce what you put in your heart. So you could put, plant greed. You can plant depression. You can plant fear. You can watch pornography. And you can plant lust. But you know what happens? You just planted that seed. And that seed is going to grow and it is going to produce a harvest. Right? You cannot cheat the seed. So Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. That was all introduction, so here we go. <laughs> this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night. Now, I want to spend a few minutes to talk about meditation because really meditation is what we do to fertilize the seed that's planted in our heart. Now, notice Joshua 1.8 says, first of all, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. There's two things here that I want to mention. The first one is we're supposed to speak in agreement with God. Uh, when the children of Israel come to the promised land, Moses sends in 12 spies and they pass through the land for 40 days and they come back and 10 of them stand up and they say, the land is just like God said. It flows with milk and honey. Now, God said, I've given you the land. And then their report was, but we cannot go in because they are stronger than we are. And there's giants and there's walled cities and there's seven nations and we cannot take possession. This is what God said. He said, they gave an evil report of the land through which they had passed through. See, when God says, I've given it to you and you say, I can't, God calls that evil. This book of the law should not depart out of our mouth. We need to speak in agreement with God. But then notice the second part of this verse says, but you shall meditate therein day and night. Part of the meditation process is speaking and muttering. It's saying something to yourself. 
Right? And it's, it's coming at it from every direction. When, when you meditate on something, you literally, you put yourself into that situation. Right? For example, God says, lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Now, when you meditate on that, you see yourself laying hands on people. Right? You imagine that in your mind. You see it happen. You meditate on that. Say, man, I'm going to lay hands on them. God says, lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. God said, He'll work with us, confirming the word with science following. You begin to put that in your mind and you see it happening. You see it, right? And it says that when you meditate on it, then you'll observe to do according. When we meditate on it, we see ourselves doing it, first of all, on the inside in our imagination, and then later we do it. Meditation prepares your heart. And meditation is your spiritual womb. It's your spiritual womb. In Mark 4, I've, verse, verse 24, I've got the uh, classic amplified translation here. It says, Jesus said, be careful what you're hearing for the measure of thought and study, meditation, you give to the truth you hear will be the measure of virtue and knowledge that comes back to you. So it's just not hearing it, right? It's that meditating on it. It's spending time imagining what's going to happen. Remember, Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. And it's the evidence of things not seen. See, when we meditate on something, we begin, it, we begin to hope. We begin to see that thing. In Genesis 11 in verse 6, the Lord said, Behold, the people are one. Now they're building this tower, the Tower of Babel. And they're doing this in order to rebel against God. He said, the people are one. And they all have one language. And this they begin to do. And now nothing will be restrained from them, which they have imagined to do. Nothing will be restrained from them, which they have imagined to do. The Hebrew word there means to consider, to devise, to imagine, to plot, to intend, to purpose, to think, to determine. That's a negative looking at, at your imagination in a negative way. In 1 Chronicles 29, 18, we find the exact opposite. David is preparing to build the temple. He's getting stuff ready for Solomon. And David personally gives about $5 billion in one day in the offering. And then he encourages the people and they pretty much match it. About another $5 billion shows up. And then David is thanking God and he says, O oh Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep this forever in the imagination of the thoughts of the hearts of thy people and prepare their heart unto thee. Keep this forever in the imagination of the thoughts of the hearts of your people. Uh, the Hebrew word there, imagination, is yeser, Y-E-S-E-R. Occasionally, it's spelled instead of an S with a T. But it means conception, and it means a thing framed. In other words, when you begin to imagine, when you begin to meditate, what you're doing is you are conceiving something on the inside. Or we can say you're framing it. That your imagination, your meditations frame how the, your life, the, the limits of your life, the blessing of God that's going to come into your life is framed by your imagination, right? By you meditating and beginning to see what God says happened to you. Another, another practical 
uh, application that is mentioned uh, is like a potter preparing a vessel, right? Your imagination is the same way. Your imagination prepares the vessel. It prepares the blessing that's going to come into your life. As you begin to meditate on what God says, right? And notice it's prepare their hearts unto thee. When we meditate, it prepares our heart to receive what God has for us. In 2 Chronicles 12, verse 14, it says, and he did evil because he didn't prepare his heart to seek the Lord. Ezra 7, 10. Now, Ezra comes in, he's a scribe, and he literally leads the people of God uh, in coming back to the promised land. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord. How do you prepare your heart? Well, one of the key things to preparing your heart is meditating on God's word. In Isaiah 26, verse 3, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. So no matter what's going on, whether it's economic turmoil, whether it's a pandemic, no matter what's going on, the Bible says God will keep you in perfect peace. Right? But when your mind is stayed on him, that word mind it means your thoughtfulness. And to be stayed means to be braced, to be steadfast, right? to lean on, to rely on, to gain confidence, to establish. See, when we keep our minds established on the Lord and the Bible says, no matter what's going on, he will keep us in perfect peace. So remember, your heart will automatically receive whatever seed you put in it, and it will produce that fruit. See, so when you're imagining, you're imagining what the word of God says, there's, a, there's an opportunity to steal. You say to yourself, say, no, I'm not going to do that. There's, a, there, there, there's something that comes against you, and you see yourself resist the devil. You see him flee. There's sickness. So you, you, you see yourself laying hands on the sick and they recover. Um, maybe we can use Mark chapter five as an example. One of the really well-known stories in the life of Jesus is about the woman with the issue of blood. It's found in Mark chapter five. Jesus is on his way to Jairus's house. His little daughter has, has died and he's on his way. But the Bible says there was a woman who had an issue of blood for 12 years. And she had gone to many doctors. And she grew worse instead of better. But when she heard about Jesus, she began to say, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I will be made well. Now, she's saying that. And she's saying this. And she's seeing it happen in her mind. She's meditating. She's seeing it. If I can do this, I will be made well. She gets over to Jesus. And she has to go through the crowd. There's a multitude of people. And she touches the hem of his garment. And immediately, the Bible says, she felt in herself that she was healed. And Jesus turns around and says, who touched me? And the disciples say, what do you mean who touched you? Everybody's touching you. Look at this multitude. And Jesus said, no, no, no. I perceive that power is going out of me. And he's looking around to see who had done this. And she came forward and told everything. And Jesus said, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. All right. Now, when you read that story, how do you meditate on that story? Well, you could say, well, I'm like that woman with the issue of blood. I've got a need, right? And you say, she, she began to say, she saw herself healed. She saw herself delivered. And you begin to see yourself being delivered. And you say, well, she had a point of contact. 
there was a point where she said, I believe right now I'm going to be made well. But once she touched, she says, I'm going to believe. I believe when I touch, I will be. You see, and that's true because faith is the substance of things hoped for. The Bible says now faith is. Faith is not what's going to happen tomorrow. Faith receives right now. Faith believes I receive. There's got to be a point of contact. She said, when I touch, I'm going to be made whole. So you can go through this and meditate on this and see yourself as the woman reaching out and touching. But you know, equally so, you can see yourself as Jesus. Because Jesus said, the works that I do, will you do? Come on. Will you do also? And even greater works than these will you do? See, you can see yourself as, I've got the answer. Somebody's, somebody's sick, I can lay hands on them and they can recover. Somebody's addicted to, 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 to cocaine, I can lay hands on them and they're going to be delivered. See, you, you can approach that but different ways. But you've got to put yourself in that story. You've got to put that verse, you've got to apply that verse to yourself. Right? God's word is God speaking to you. And Jesus said the thought, the measure of thought and study that you give, the amount of meditation you put in will to the truth you hear will be the measure, will be the measure of the virtue or the knowledge. The amount that this is going to work in your life has to do with the amount of time that you and I spend meditating on the word of God. So way back in Joshua, it says, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate. Therein, day and night. It's not just hearing the word. We've got to hear it. And it's not just reading the word. We need to read it. But it's the amount of thought and study. It's the amount of meditation. And what meditation does is it gets us in the place to receive revelation knowledge. Now, Jesus is with his disciples, and he says, uh, who do people say that I am? And the, the disciples said, well, some say you're Elijah. Some say you're John the Baptist, risen from the dead. And others say you're just like one of the prophets of old. And he said, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. He says, you didn't get this because somebody told you. You didn't even get this because you studied and figured it out. You got this because my father in heaven supernaturally revealed this to you. See, and when we meditate in the word of God, we get in that same place where revelation knowledge from the spirit of God flows to us. And when it happens, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The Greek word there is the word rhema. Faith comes by rhema. When the spirit of God comes and makes something alive, on the inside of you. All right. Would you please bow your heads for just a moment? In a group this size, again, and, and all the people that are online watching wherever you're at with your device, there's people in every sort of a spiritual condition. But I want to talk to people particularly right now. You're not right with God. Some of you, you just know you're away from the Lord right now. Others of you, you've never really been right with God. The Bible says in Psalms 99 that he was to them the God who forgives. And I want to tell you something today. God wants to be to you the God who forgives. The Bible says, draw near to God 
and he will draw near to you. If you're a thousand feet away from God, if you'll take 999 steps, <laughs> well, I would put it this way, you take one step, God will take the rest. He'll take those 999 steps. If you will reach out to him, he is reaching to you. Just like the father of the prodigal son saw the son a long way off and went running to meet him, God is ready to meet with you. Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. It's the door of your heart. And if you'll open, I will come in. So if you're away from God today, you don't know where you stand with God. I want to invite you today. Jesus is knocking at the door of your heart. And I want you to open that door. And I want to lead you in a prayer to open that door for him to come in right now. So I want to ask everybody, if you possibly can, take one hand, put it over your heart, lift your other hand towards heaven. And I want you to pray with us. Make these words your own. Just say this out loud. Say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe he rose again. I give Jesus all of my heart and all of my life. I'm going to live for him every day. He is my king. He is my Lord. I receive the forgiveness he purchased for me. I thank you. My past is gone. I am now a part of your family, a part of your kingdom. My old life is gone. And now I'm new. I'm going to live the abundant life that Jesus has for me. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope what you heard today has been encouraging and given you new insight into the Word of God. We upload weekly, so join us again next time. Be blessed and enjoy your week.